Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. Write code and solve problems. But are you a good engineer? Are there things you can do to improve yourself and be a better developer? What does it take to be a good software developer? In this episode, we look to answer these questions by going through a list of 10 rules to be a good engineer. We'll discuss each one and how you can accomplish it. But before we get started, Will, how have you been a good developer this week? I don't know. Have you I don't know. been a developer not. this week? Probably not. Uh, I'm fighting with Cloudflare right now, trying to get a container set up so that I can get a Argo tunnel running in here. Basically, so that I can hit stuff internal to my network from outside, but I can you know put rules on it so I'm not forwarding through the uh, through the firewall and you know having to deal with uh, all the DNS fun that goes with that because Comcast changes the address. And I can get the container to load and I can get it to run, but apparently because it is living inside of Mac VLAN, it can't route to a thing on the same host. For some reason, and so I'm trying to figure out what what the deal is. I think it's, you know, it's because it gets a different IP address and it comes back to the same plug, basically. And I think there's something getting in the way there, but I, I'm kind of stuck on it at the moment. So that's what I was doing when we uh, got ready to start this call. How about you? <laughs> it's got to be better than that, right? Well, I uh, I've actually been feeling sick today. Um, I, I got up this morning for a, a church thing at six and then I normally start my day at seven and I, I was like, I do not feel well. I went back to bed, slept pretty much all morning, got up, ate some lunch, worked on this outline a little bit because I had planned on knocking it out, like finishing it up at lunchtime and then laid back down and got up to, to record. So Yeah kind of started last night. I was more tired than usual. So I went to bed early and didn't finish the outline like I normally do on Monday nights when I write one. And then uh, thought, all right, well, I'll just, I'm tired. It's been a long, long weekend. I'll just get up in the morning and, and work on it. Nope. So here I am recording. And as soon as we're done with this, I'm probably going to make some dinner and go straight to bed because I do not feel well uh, still. Um, so, yeah. Uh, in other news, I, I can't tell if this is a joke or not, but uh, I saw this thing where there's a fan remake of the Super Mario game with uh, Chris Pratt as Mario. Okay. Well, he's he's doing the, the voice for uh, the Super Mario movie that's coming out. Like, he's voicing Mario for that. And so it's a, a digital artist who has no experience in making video games, apparently, who is uh, is making this as sort of a, a fan thing, which I've, I think is kind of cool. Uh, I mean, if it's real, it, it may just be a joke, but either way, I think it's kind of a funny idea. I mean, I'd play it, to be honest with you. 
It does sound like something Chris Pratt would do. So that's that's all I have to say about that. Saving money is hard, especially when you buy random video games when you're sick. Lucas Casadas is a fee-only certified financial planner. He runs and owns Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And just like us at Complete Developer Podcast, he focuses on helping you to not only establish a real plan, but also to take action so that you can live your best life based on that plan. Yeah. Investing in financial planning services really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances. And with the help of Level Up, the compounding impact of making better financial decisions will easily pay for itself. Level Up also has a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. And best of all, Lucas is a fiduciary for his clients. What that means is he's not there to sell you a product, but to guide you to a better financial situation. And if you want that guidance, you can catch his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics that you probably face. And he interviews other IT professionals who share how they navigated their own careers. And you can find out even more at levelupfinancialplanning.com. There are a lot of different types of developers in the field. Some will be your basic nine to five workers who are basically the backbone of most development shops. They're there to get the job done. And when their day is over, they go home to their own lives. On the other extreme are the ones who live, breathe, eat, and sleep coding. When they aren't working at their day job, they're building a side project attending or giving lectures, or hosting a development podcast. Both extremes, and everyone in between them, can be good software engineers. You don't have to dedicate your life to coding to be a good engineer. But it will take some effort on your part to learn and grow. When thinking of what makes a good software engineer, a lot of people think about algorithms, data structures, etc., Now, these make for a good computer scientist, which is an academic label. Software engineer is a job role that uses knowledge of these things, but is not defined by them. The goal is to produce value to a company by helping them to earn money and grow. And by the way, this just brings up a point. I know a lot of people don't like the term engineer for software developers because we do get away with a lot of crap that a a real engineer can't do. So, you know, the thing we're going for here is if you want to be more engineer-like, <laughs> this is where you want to do things. Not, you know, not, oh, you'll be an engineer and you can, you know, you can get the paperwork from the state. That's a whole different ballgame. But this is how you have the engineering attitude that we want to talk yeah. about. I guess. Uh, I just pulled this from a core answer, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So what does make a good software engineer or developer? And again, we're using these terms interchangeably here. Yes, they do have different meanings in in certain places, as Will pointed out. But for our purposes, we're going to use them interchangeably throughout this episode. A good developer is not only able to write code that solves problems, but has knowledge and ability in other areas of software engineering, from the architecture to the build process to delivery. In this episode, we're going to go through 10 rules to be a good engineer. And these come from a Quora answer, and we have a link in the show notes. Uh, they're mostly a collection of you know, advice. And if you pay attention to the show, you'll see that most of these are suggestions we've given throughout the 
seven years we've done this podcast? A little over seven years, yeah, man. Yeah. So let's get started. And at the beginning is the most important one, probably. Uh, Know the fundamentals. Uh, You're not going to get very far without these. Fundamentals are the building blocks of everything we do. And you need to become an expert white belt. Yeah. I I threw that in there because Will and I both have uh, martial arts background. And one of the things that uh, when I was going through this that came to mind is uh, if you look, and we've talked about this with like kind of that mid to senior range, but if you if you watch people who are really really advanced in martial arts, what are they what are they really putting their effort and focus into? A lot of them they're not doing, you know, they may occasionally do very advanced stuff, but a lot of them are put a lot of focus into really getting the fundamentals down. Because they know that's what everything else is based on. You're not going to get the advanced stuff if you don't have the fundamentals. Well, and the other thing is that's the bulk of what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing people forget. It's like, oh, I want to do some advanced data structure. When are you planning on using that? Twice in your career. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. I mean, I'll be honest. It's it's fun and neat to do that kind of stuff. And, you know, but Knowing those fundamentals and getting those down really well is what's going to make you set you apart from the average, basically. And that's what we're talking about here. Uh, If you look at a very senior developer's code and a very junior developer's code, they will look similar kind of on the outset. You know, they'll be using a lot of similar things. But then you look at the way they're using and like how they implement those fundamental concepts and it's completely different. Yeah. And how they, well, and it, yeah, it's, it's, it's more about the use and the, the fluidity of that use It's yeah. kind of like is the best way to explain it. In martial arts, like the wrist lock you learn at the beginning, you're still doing the same thing as, you know, at, at a master level. It's just, you've got a couple of small adjustments that make it so that you're less likely to get hit, you know? And it's much like this with developers. I mean, it really, it's it's worth it to make the time to go through basic courses to refresh your knowledge so that you pick up all those things. When you go back through and pass through again, you'll see stuff that you didn't see the first time. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And it, it's interesting because a, a well-written senior developer's code can be read by a junior developer and understood, but they'll look at it and go, oh, wow, I never would have thought to use that that way. Yeah. So you you really want to take some time to go through basic courses and refresh your knowledge. This doesn't mean like spend all of your training time doing that, but do spend a part of it, you know, going back through the basics and reviewing those. I mean, look at a lot of our episodes. A bulk of them are reviewing the basics because, and we've gotten emails and social media messages from lots of different developers at different stages. The junior developers tell us, hey, this is great because I'm learning stuff that really applies. And we've had some senior developers, business owners even tell us, hey, I love this because these are things I haven't thought about in years, but it was such a great refresher to go back over that and and refresh that concept. Well, and I think the other thing too, a, a lot of people, a lot of devs, you know, we mostly learn new stuff by building things with it. Mm-hmm. 
And when you, when you learn by building something, you know, you have a, you have a goal in mind, right? So you, you build the thing up. Okay. I got the thing. But when you go back to the basics, you realize the stuff that you didn't completely understand well, like where your mental model worked for the situation you're in, but doesn't work a hundred percent of the time. You'll catch those kind of things. Yeah. Or like why decisions were made. Like it, it gets you a deeper level of really, really basic stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's absolutely. So the next one is you should never stop learning new things. I've, I've had this conversation with developers, you know, a few years into their career, they've got some framework down. And they're like, well, I don't want to learn this new one. I've got this other thing. And to some degree, it's like, yes, you should master one probably before you really start branching out too much. But you should not be resistant to learning some things about a new one at the very least. You know, the the thing is technology is always changing and it's always growing. And you have to at least know what kind of changes are going on, even if you're not implementing them. Maybe especially if you're not implementing. You know, I mean, the stuff that you and I were talking about right before we got on was some crap that changed in the background that I kind of missed. And I'm figuring it out sort of the hard way now. And there's, you know, I'm having to go through quite a bit of of learning material because I didn't, you know, learn it as I went. Now it's networking stuff, but it's a very similar principle. Yeah. Learning something new, even if you don't use it, is going to help you in what you do on a daily basis. Uh, you'll start seeing things in a different way when you're consistently learning. Uh, I know, for example, Will, you've talked about certain things that you learned from learning Ruby, even though you weren't using Ruby, that years yep. later... Lambda functions in .NET. Yeah, they weren't there at the time, but years later, they brought them into to .NET Lambda functions. That's what it, I couldn't remember what it was, but I knew it was something. And like you already understood it and were able to jump right on and use it and didn't have a big learning curve when it came in because you had been consistently learning throughout your career. Even new things may not exactly apply to what you're doing now. So I realize this this point kind of, it doesn't exactly contradict the previous one because before we said like, hey, learn the fundamentals to understand what you're doing. And th- now we're saying, hey, learn new stuff even if you're not using it. They they're not, they don't contradict, they complement. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's... Like there should be a mix, right? You should be learning, you know, you should probably be practicing the basics about 90% of the time, mm-hmm. you know, until they're just perfect and there's nothing else to learn. You should question whether you actually don't have something else to learn, but there should be a mix of some new stuff. Like we, I know some developers that have the basics down and they've been coding for 25 years, but they can't do OOP because that wasn't a thing then. They can't do threading because they didn't yeah. have to and they, you know and they never learned any of this stuff and now they're at a point where if they were to try to learn it even in their framework of choice you're talking years of work mm-hmm. i mean they, they've got to catch up since before 9-11 <laughs> like they were behind then yeah that's pretty jarring you want to try and find the best way that you learn and this can be reading books or blog posts listening to podcasts obviously you listen to podcasts because you're listening to us talk right now uh, don't know how much you're learning about it, but you know, you're listening. <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. Or taking online courses. I know I have personally I have subscriptions to Plural Site and LinkedIn Learning, but there are several other companies out there who do training online. There's some that are even free that you can take, especially if you're going back to the fundamentals, because a lot of the the basic stuff they've got out there for free on a few of them. So Yeah. I mean, well, and you know, there's YouTube stuff too, right? I've 
done quite a bit of learning this year, especially on off of YouTube. That's true. Because it's I I get stuff that's a little bit more tactical. You know, yeah. like I don't completely understand this one thing. Let me go find a video on it. Another thing that is really important is to be very curious about everything, right? Like you should be looking around and going, okay, how are they using the technology here? You go to a website, like, well, what are they doing? You know, how does this page work? You know, can I guess the technology and hope it's not WordPress? No, sorry. That's just me. Yeah. And actually more modern WordPress is not as bad as the old stuff, but still got scars. But, you know, this is kind of similar to never stopping learning. This is the feeder for it. You know, this is about your attitude towards the world around you. You know, you should be curious. You should wonder how things work or why things are built a certain way. There's all kinds of little stuff in your environment that you never thought about that is, you know, slightly different just because, you know, this is actually a safety feature or it's a something that some rare use case that you never think about, but it's there, you know, in, in case of that. So you'll see that in the physical world and that's true in tech as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean... I've had plenty of times where I'll talk to people and they'll be like, you know, I want something kind of like this website. And because of my own curiosity, I know how to go in there and, you know, look at the the source from it and kind of figure out, oh, hey, that, well, I mean, it's obvious if it's a WordPress site, but, you know, can kind of figure out what they're using behind the scenes because I've been curious about things before and I'm like, Ooh, I like this. I wonder how they built that. Yeah. So even if it's a technology I don't use, I know how to recognize it and go, Oh yeah, I know how this was built. So yeah, I can, you know, I can do that or uh, you might want to find someone else. Rarely do I say that, but every now and then depending on what they want, you know, if it's a WordPress site. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. You had to throw in WordPress there, you know, that it is what it is. Curiosity leads to questioning. And when done right, with respect, questioning the current way of doing things can lead to improvements that no one else would have seen. I had this conversation or a similar conversation yesterday where, because we have a couple of new members, we did some change up because we had some people leave. And so they moved teams around a little bit at work and we've got a few new members on our team. And so they their previous team, they had done things a little bit different and they were asking why we did certain things a certain way. You know, it just had to do with process and stuff. So, I mean, it was, it was some good questions. Some of it was, oh, well, we have a very good reason for this and this is why. Some of it, it was because that's just what worked at the time. But if you got a better idea, we're open to hearing it. So... Yeah. And, you know, honestly, our curiosity is what led most of us into software development. And Mm -hmm. if you think about how fast you learned, how fast you grew when you did that, that's a mindset that you really want to keep. Yeah. You know, we we wanted to understand how a computer worked and here we are Mm -hmm. uh, years later. And, you know, that's that that really is something that's worth maintaining. And, you know, if you've lost your natural curiosity, you kind of need to start thinking about why. Yeah. Next, try out new things. You know, we grow when we're willing to get outside of our comfort zone and try new and different things. This kind of goes along. These all sort of flow together. Um, like I said, I pulled this from a core I answer and the person obviously put some some serious effort into writing this because the they flow one's the next. But they th- this sort of builds on 
the being curious because curiosity will get you so far, but then you've got to actually get out there and try something new, try something different. Um, I'm going to go back to the example I used before with Will. He was trying something different with learning Ruby at the time, um, even though he'd been a .NET developer for, I don't know, I don't know how far back it was in your career. At that point, three and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. So Ruby was quite new. Yeah. Yeah. So he was trying something very new at that point in time. Didn't know exactly where, where he was going to go with it because you know there could have been a possibility that you became a Ruby developer. Not in Nashville at that time. I actually looked the local job market. Uh, that was not a thing. I could go mm-hmm. for Java or I could go for .NET or a lot of Visual Basic because that was still around. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, like I said, you didn't know where you were going to go with it, but you're still trying something new, learning something new. And that, again, led to being better a better .NET developer. Yeah. You know, if you do the same thing year after year for 10 years, it doesn't really make you better. Or, you know, at best, it's very, very small increments of, of improvement. Like, if you really, if you really want to get better quickly, this is not the way. You know, in some cases, it doesn't even make you better at the thing you've been doing for the past 10 years. It just makes you have habits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those habits can make you faster for a little while. But, you know, as, yeah. as language changes and stuff, that it doesn't hold up. I literally wrote this, uh, this point with you in mind because you had complained about the people who have, uh, don't have same. 10 years of experience. They have 10 years of the same. They have 10 one year of experiences. How, would, yeah. how do you say it? They have one year of experience 10 times over. That's it. That's it. I knew there was a way you said it and I'm like, I can't get that down. So I'm just going to put it in here and hope that Will reads this point and gets it. Yeah. You know, I mean, we think that's massively dysfunctional when people have, you know, a series of relationships like that. Right. And then people go right back to their careers and do the same thing. It's, it's like, it's just as bad there. No. Less entertaining for everybody watching, but it's just as bad. No. If you're not willing to try new things, you're going to be stuck doing whatever it is you first learned in school or basically when you started your career until you are absolutely forced to learn something new. Which is going to happen eventually. Technology will move past the language or framework that you're using now. It may take a while, uh, but it'll happen or it'll just change it so much that it'll be unrecognizable. And Mm -hmm. you really want to avoid being forced to change. You want to change with it so that you're you're already caught up you know, and or ahead of most people. That way you have experience in the new tech before you're forced to switch. Because what happens is if you don't have the experience in the new tech and you're forced to switch, some somebody with five or ten years less experience than you that is experienced in the new tech is going to get that work. Yeah. And it's going to be harder for you to move. Because mm-hmm. they're cheaper. Oh, yeah. Unless you move up into uh, some type of management position. Yeah, um, I would even argue there. It's 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 uh, going to be harder to do that still, too. Yeah, but it's like a weird... There still is like a learning curve to managing, you know, or managing people. Mm-hmm. Mm. That if you're not willing to be curious and, and learn, I, I almost wonder if you're not in more trouble there than you would be as a developer. Oh, well, I mean, we're not saying that everyone makes a good manager, but definitely if you're not willing to grow and learn, you're not going to, uh, to be a good manager. That, that would actually make a good episode. The things yeah. that you need to, to have to be able to go to make that move and what to expect too. I think we've got something on the board for what to expect, but like what you need to do yourself and be ready for. 
because it is it is a whole different learning curve there so the the next rule is document all the things pulling out some old school memes here i changed the the wording on that uh, that one if you actually go look in the show notes and go to the original post but uh This goes beyond just documenting your code, hence all the things. You should document your processes, major decisions, conversations with stakeholders or managers, that sort of thing. You you want to document everything that you possibly can. Yeah. I know we have like a 90-day retention policy on our emails. And so if it's anything anywhere near important, it goes into I've an archive folder that's broken down into subfolders and it goes into that. Yeah. I worked at a company where they had that, that kind of short policy as well. Um, they were worried about getting sued, I think. And they're just like, well, if it, if that stuff doesn't exist, you know, and so like half the office had outlook express and they had some way rigged to like pull mm-hmm. the files over. <laughs> but, but yeah, you, you do want to document things. I mean, I, I've gotten a lot better about that as I've gotten further in my career because I used to kind of roll my eyes when people said that. But especially with all this networking stuff that I've been doing here lately where I've had to mess with something and, you know, it works good enough for now and I come back to it in a month. My memory is not what it used to be. And it is really, really handy to be able to go, okay, why did I make that decision? Or, you know, what are some other things I noticed? You know, like I got an error message trying this other thing. I wrote that error message down so I can research it and see if, you know, that initial thing was a better idea. If I have all that in, you know, in a document somewhere, it really helps for, you know, just figuring stuff out. And, you know, it's not just about helping people that, that follow after you. Obviously that's when you write documentation for work, that's probably what you're doing, but just being able to deal with like the weird edge cases and the stuff that you're like, Oh, I know what that was. You know, I can go back in my notebooks and I can find stuff. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it, it makes a big difference. There's a lot of times I, I can't find stuff because it's before I really started being better about it. And I'm still not perfect, but I, I do write things down much more. Oh, now. yeah. I, I, I definitely or worse, have it's in a paper notebook and I get to go through the stack. That's the, that's the pits. <laughs> I got to stop doing that. Yeah, I get that. The old adage goes, if it's not written down, it didn't happen. This is definitely the case when it comes to business and software development because if you didn't write it down, it didn't happen, you know? And that's why I have this. Your work Bible. <laughs> my work Bible. Yeah. It's just because it's a black moleskin, but it is, it is pretty nice. It's, it's thick. And I, I purposely get the uh, grid page paper in here so I can like map stuff out and draw things along with taking notes. Yeah. I've thought about you know getting something like that, but I'd, I don't know. I, like my, my thing is I try to do like little cheap notebooks and I, I write in them and you know, during the day when I'm doing stuff and then I get that moved into a digital system so mm-hmm. I can find it. You know, I used to have, uh, when I was in medical school, this thing called live scribe. I know I've got it around here somewhere. I just, I thought about that too. Yeah. Just the notebooks are so expensive for it. Yeah. And my, my thought on that too, is that if I, if I wrote something down and then I read it and I have to type it in somewhere else, you know, I may not even have to come back there to it, but it's true. You know, at the very least, it's more likely I'll remember that, Hey, I have this. Yeah. And that seems to be you know pretty helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Documentation also covers you in case, you know, 
in case you have the uh, selective amnesia going on, either you or somebody else, uh, but usually it's somebody else. This is where somebody, usually in management, uh, will not remember a conversation or they'll choose not to, or they don't remember telling you to do something that may not work the way they want. Being able to show screenshots or even better saved emails of conversations can prevent a lot of stress. And also mm-hmm. just being able to go through the conversation before then. You know, I said this, then you said this, then I said this. And here it is. Here's why we went this way. And you said that. it does. It's not incriminating to you, but you did say it. Yeah. Uh, I, have, I have gone back and looked at conversations and been like, oh, nope. I misremembered what they said and I need to go change that. And there's been, there have been other times where uh, I've been talking to, to someone and they're like, well, the acceptance criteria says this. And I was like, yes. And when I asked for clarification, this is what you said. And they're like, did I really say that? I'm like, yep, here's the email. You're right. I did say that. That's my mistake. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I, I find that if you have that and you, you approach it in not a accusatory way, but in a, hey, this is this is why. You know, this is what I based my decision or this is what I based that on. A lot of times people are like, oh, you're right. I did say that. Huh. Well, and it's also really helpful when you get that new mid-level dev that comes in and everything you're doing is wrong. Why yeah. do we do it this way? And you can say, yeah. well, we made this decision because of this that happened two years ago. Yeah. And, you know, here's the stuff that led up to that. And that's why we're where we are right now, you know, because it's going to be hard to remember what that is. And you're going to sound defensive, but you go, hey, I'll just go look at my notes. Yeah, absolutely. So the next rule, rule six, I guess, yeah, is share your knowledge. While documentation ensures that knowledge isn't lost uh, and can be accessed, sharing your knowledge ensures that it is actually passed on to the rest of the team and not just sitting somewhere that nobody even knows about. Yeah. And, you know, bear in mind, this is not just uh, institutional knowledge. You know, while it's important to share what you know about your products, projects that you're working on, you know, this also applies to knowledge of coding in general. You know, the stuff that you've seen, it's like, hey, if I do this, this thing happens. You know, and sometimes a weird side effect or sometimes, hey, this, you know, other people see this code and it they react to it this way. If I do it this way, you know, on average, like I'm creating a pit of success for other developers, like that kind of knowledge. Oh, yeah. It's not in a book anywhere for the most part. Like you, you just have to learn that from talking to people. Uh, also, like when I first started, it was over a year ago now. Wow. I've been a lead developer for over a year now. Uh, when I first started as a lead developer, I was coming from about four or five years uh, as a solely an API developer. Like before that, I had been both front end and back end, but they pretty much put me on the back end and I stayed there for several years. So I hadn't seen the newer Angular stuff. And they put me leading a team of junior developers doing the front end. And so we did a lot of pair programming and a lot of our stuff was they would be stuck on something. And I'm like, well, I know how to solve the problem, but I don't know how to implement that solution in like TypeScript in the current Angular. So I'd tell them, here's how I'd solve it in like pseudocode or here's how I'd solve it in C sharp. And like, oh, I wouldn't have thought to do it that way. So it, they knew how to implement it where I didn't know the actual implementation because it just, I needed to, to refresh on that because I hadn't done it in a while. But 
the the knowledge that I had was you know how to code. Well, I mean, like sharing knowledge, you know, I mean, it's it's open sourcing stuff, it is, right? Yeah. And it, it has the same kind of characteristics. It's like sharing a recipe. You know, I give you a really good pie recipe. Two years from now, you're like, hey, I did that, but I did this little twist to it. And now my recipe is better because of your experience that would mm-hmm. have never occurred had I not shared. We've done that with several recipes over yeah, the many years we've been friends. I'm a little bit hungry right now. Uh, <laughs> so that's probably why that came to mind. But, um, you know, it's, it's think of it more like that versus, versus feeling like knowledge is a scarce thing. Yeah. You know, knowledge is a seed you plant that you come back to harvest. Mm-hmm. It really is. Like the, the more you spread that, and, you know, you're going to have some people who are going to take it and grow with it and some people who are going to do nothing with it, you know? And you still learn something. You, you do. You, you learn something from, from every one of them. So now this can be as simple. Really, it doesn't really have to be that complicated. It can be as easy as taking notes in a course and sharing them with coworkers. You know, I've done that. Or as complex as leading a workshop or lecture at a conference or, you know, starting a weekly educational podcast. Yeah. That's, that's part of the reason we started this podcast was to help me learn. Yeah. Well, it's, it's definitely improved both of us quite a bit, you know, cause the best way to learn is through teaching other people. An infographic based on several research articles showed they consistently found that knowledge retention is highest when teaching others. Yeah. Um, there's some, you know, there's something about the social interactions and, the the other thing, the act of trying to take a piece of information and make it digestible for somebody else makes it digestible for you. Mm-hmm. And you don't notice that process on, in yourself. No. And uh, honestly, I wish I had a link to that infographic. I, I saw it. This was so funny. I saw it about a week ago before writing this. And I was like, yeah, that is very true. Teaching others definitely does. And it had a list of all the the research articles it was based on. And I could not find it when I was doing this. Guys, if I if I can find that before I post these show notes, I will put that up there with them. But uh, but otherwise, I just no, I did see that before writing this episode. And uh, if I can find it, I'll, I'll definitely put it in there. Next, you also need to learn to step back and look at things at a higher level. A majority of the people in the workforce just do what they're told and they go home. Developers, however, really have to be different than the majority. You're not going to you're not going to do well. You're not going to thrive. Uh, in general, we are creators. We create entire applications from blank screens. I mean, that's that's the thing. We are we are very creative. Of all the hard science engineering types out there, uh, software development is, is the most. I would say the most creative. Well, and you know, it's a lot of that is because there's a lack of physical constraints. You know, we worry about the speed of light and a few other things and, you know, we can get away with a lot. And I think that that makes us more creative. It also means that we have to be able to step back and look at the big picture mm-hmm. because we can get lost in that creativity too. Right. Now, that that said, we're not saying that other engineering areas are not creative because there is a lot of creativity in a lot of, in many different engineering areas and architecture and stuff. But I would I would put it out there that that software development is the most creative. I'm well, we're most in, we're encouraged to be more creative in a lot that of is true. respects, which I yeah. think is is a large uh, part of it. But yeah, I mean, you you got to kind of you got to step back and look and see where you fit. 
and everything. Yeah. You'll look at the larger whole and, you know, because a lot of times your creativity is not necessarily needed where you're putting it. Mm-hmm. So you want to ask yourself a few questions. How does the story or task that you're working on fit into the overall project? How does the project that you're working on fit into the the products that the company that you're working for produces? Or how does it affect the people who are working in the company if you're doing something internally? And finally, how does what you are building affect the people who are going to be using it? Yeah, and I would add one more beyond that. How does your company fit in the larger scheme of things too? Like yeah. You need to understand where the cash flow is coming in. Mm-hmm. What the, you know, what the users are expecting, what the, you know, the company itself expects, those kind of things, because you can innovate in those spaces. You talk about being able to punch above your weight. Uh, yeah. As far as creating value, that'll do it. Right. That really will. And this is just a suggestion that, that I have for my team at work. But if it's possible, I don't make them, but I'm like, hey, if you guys are able, I would really like you to attend these. Attend any optional, I put optional in quotes there, stakeholder meetings sort of as a fly on the wall and observer because that's where you're going to see what's important to you. And this can help guide you when development decisions are down to a matter of opinion. Well, Um, and it can make your opinions better too because like you'll hear people go, well, if we scale this up to a million users, this won't hold up. And it's like, yeah, we're, we're, you know, writing this software for, I don't know, Sikh temples in Rhode Island. Yeah. That's probably not going to be a million users anytime soon. Yeah, or but hey, you'll have people that want to scale for something like that. Right. Or it's like this is an internal application for a, you know, an, a department that has 12 employees to help them track things. And all right, if the company gets huge, the mo- most they're going to have is, you know, 24 or 48 employees in that department. Yeah. You know, it's, it's understanding things like that, who's using it and how they're using it. And which direction they're likely to jump. No. You know, they may go, oh, this is a really good app that we built internally. And if you hear a, a comment in that meeting that's like, you know, if we get this built right, we can sell it to other people. You need to file that away. Yeah. Because yeah, you do not want that one dropped on you. Yeah, that is that completely changes things. I will say this too, doing this, it is going to definitely benefit you. I had our product owner. I, I found about out about this from my manager, but our product owner spoke to our management and complimented me and my team because we, when we make decisions, we do it with the stakeholders in mind. And that is literally from attending these meetings and hearing what's important to them. And like what the compliment basically was, hey, whenever you, whenever you guys are making a decision. You're thinking about how is this going to affect the users? How are the users going to use this before you make that decision? And, you know, that that makes its management. And that likes, like I said, that makes you and your team look good. Yeah, especially if you anticipate things that they didn't. Yeah, no. Another thing that is a critical characteristic of good engineers is that they do sweat the details. You will hear people say, oh, don't sweat the small things you kind of have to when the small things are your area. You know, this is the other side of knowing the high level. You know, you have to get be able to get way down in the weeds on the details of your work. Uh, You know, the high level helps you, you know, it helps guide you 
uh, while you're working on the details, but it's the details that actually make something work. Right. So take time at the beginning to task out your work. This is something that, that I do that Will and I encourage everyone to do. Because sometimes it's like, oh, well, this is simple. It's easy to just jump in there and start working on it. But I always make sure to take time and task it out. A lot of times I'll get in there and go, oh, hey, this is not what I was expecting. And I'll have to go change those tasks. But it helps to already have them written out. And this is the time to get picky about the details of what you're doing. And, you know, to-do lists and checklists are really helpful for making sure that important details aren't missed. I, I can remember getting made fun of because back in college, like if I was going to my parents for the weekend, I printed out a checklist of everything I needed to, to pack. And you know, somebody made fun of me and I'm like, yeah, that's great. Let me get to my parents' house and not have my toothbrush or underwear. Yeah. See, you know, like it just it's, it's like just avoid, you know, it, it's just a way to avoid, you know, a stupid, very easily preventable mistake so that you right. can focus on preventing the real mistakes. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. that are big ones. The The first time that you have to make a midnight trip to Walmart to get contact solution that will put put it into that. I remember I remember doing that in college, having to go because I have. I didn't take any contact solution with me, thought that there was some at my parents' house and apparently there wasn't any. And yeah, I had to make that midnight trip to Walmart because that's when I realized I needed contact solution. I, at my wedding, I had to send a friend to go find black socks for me. Okay, so yeah, I'm going to keep a to-do list and I don't really care if somebody else doesn't like it. <laughs> I know what I am. Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely get that. Speaking of, uh, sending someone out for socks. The uh, very next rule is don't be afraid to ask for help. It is very humbling to ask for uh, for help on something, especially when you need socks at your wedding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to be a good engineer, you have to be able to recognize when you don't know something and be willing to seek help. Yeah. And this is really tricky or challenging, I guess. Uh, especially the further along you get in your career because you feel like you're supposed to know everything and you don't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you become an expert in your area, you you feel an expectation to know all the answers, even if it's within a narrowly defined scope and that's the only thing you work on. But the fact is, if you can make a living in that scope, there's more there than you can know. Yes, absolutely. And if you know everything in that area, then go back to some of our previous rules. Like you need to be learning something new, expanding. And so the reality is that as you become more knowledgeable, you shouldn't have all the answers. Realistically, the more knowledge you gain, the more you should see how much you don't know and be open to asking for help. Um, a, a senior um, developer is so not because they have all the answers, but because they know where to look for the answers. Yeah. You know? And they, you know, they have the answers to the simpler questions. And so when they ask questions, it's a harder problem. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, it doesn't mean that you don't ask a question at all. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's a really big thing though, is just being able to also, you know, the kinds of questions to ask. I, I remember early in my career, I sent, will a message or several probably but uh saying hey 
I am trying to figure this out. Can you just tell me what to Google to get the answer I'm looking for? Yeah. I mean, literally, I, I asked him what to Google because I didn't need him to tell me the answer. I just needed him to guide me to ask the right questions because I wanted to learn how to ask the right questions at that point. Now, to be good at this, you also need to learn to take your time. Um, it's better to take a few extra hours or even a day or so to thoroughly investigate a problem and architect a sound solution than it is to rush out a Band-Aid fix that may or may not fail under production load. Or, you know, like, uh, unless times are really, really desperate, like slimy little hacks that you probably could get away with, they're almost never worth doing because they usually have some consequence that you didn't foresee. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, just, but, I wouldn't even say usually. I say they always have some consequence you didn't foresee. You may not be the one who who has to deal with it. Yeah, but uh, I would argue gonna, that. Yeah, yeah. There, there's definitely going to be some some consequences for it. I, I would say that by the time you can actually prove that there's not consequences, you could have spent the time doing something that didn't have them. Right. Most of the time. Right. Yeah. Now, let's be honest. People are going to complain when you take time to do stuff, especially management that may be non-technical management and you don't want to let them deter you from doing a thorough job because who's going to get blamed if you rush a job and it doesn't work or you run into a like you rush it and then it doesn't hold up in production yeah you're not the manager yeah i was saying not the manager who pressured you to rush a solution nope they're gonna be like you should have done it the right way yeah uh you know, I will say that a non-technical manager can be bad, but a prosumer manager is definitely worse. Like some, you know, somebody that has done a little bit of coding and then gotten away from it, or, you know, they did it for years and then, you know, they've been a, a senior manager for the last 20 years. You talk about somebody that just has no perspective. That is a, you know, that's a danger sign. And I've seen them just absolutely snap and try to rush people through things you know, not realizing that, Hey, things are, things are different now. We can't, you know, we can't get away with stuff that we could get away with back in the day. Now this doesn't mean, you know, drag your feet and procrastinate. You know, there's, there's a difference between procrastination and taking your time doing what you're doing. Uh, When you take your time, you're actually working on the issue, but not rushing. Whereas, you know, when you're procrastinating, you're putting off working on it at all. Right. And we have an episode that just recently came out about procrastination. So you should check that one out. When you get around to it. <laughs> Sorry. Couldn't help yeah. it. Yeah, that's, that's very true. So guys, this list of 10 rules are really a great starting point on your journey to becoming a good or even great software developer. You, know, you don't have to dedicate your entire life to the art of writing code to be a good engineer. You can do it while having a life outside of work and development. All that said, it does take some effort to go from average or mediocre to becoming a good developer. You're going to have to put some work in. The rewards, though, are absolutely worth the effort as you will set yourself up for more trust at your current job and be in a better position when applying for promotion, a raise, or even moving on to a different role later on. So make a little bit of effort now for more rewards later on. That's pretty much all we got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. 
Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash completedeveloperpodcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.